we really want to create a small to mid-sized city that cares about its people, reinvests in itself, and just is a good home, mm -hmm. you know. Hey y'all, welcome to the Nuga Bell podcast, all about stories of the South, straight from the sources. I'm your host, Kate Robertson, and I'm based in the scenic city of Chattanooga, Tennessee. Join me and my guests as we talk about all things Chattanooga, life in the South, and beyond. Now pour yourself a cup of coffee or a glass of sweet tea and join us. We're so glad you're here. Hello and welcome back to the Nougabell podcast. I am here with Michael Rice, owner of the Mad Priest Coffee Roasters. Hi, Michael. Hey. How are you doing? Pretty good. Got a lot happening right now. Oh, yeah. Uh, so tell us a little bit about yourself. Are you originally from Chattanooga? No, I am not. Uh, my wife and I moved here with our firstborn three years ago. Okay. Uh, we're originally from Atlanta, but we were living abroad for several years, so we haven't even really been in the States. So we moved back stateside and moved directly to Chattanooga without knowing anyone or having a job and decided to make it home. So. Interesting. So where were you living abroad? We were in India. Oh. Kind of all over the place. Okay. Uh, what took you out of India? Uh, well, we were originally teaching English at a school, and then the long-term goal was to get into coffee there. Uh, it was kind of a booming industry, so like Starbucks was opening their first shop while we were there, and it was definitely just an industry that was exploding. And, and it was my passion, and I wanted to get into the beverage industry, so uh, we eventually contracted out and was consulting for a local business there and kind of helping their retail spaces and cafes, so. Awesome. Uh, what got you into the coffee business to begin with? Honestly, like a lot of people, it was just like a home passion. And you get really into it, and you get kind of nerdy and geeky, <laughs> and you end up buying a little home roaster, and then you buy the next level home roaster, and you get all the gear, and eventually you just kind of make a decision. <laughs> you either like stay in it professionally or, or it just stays at home home hobby but sounds um, kind of like homebrewing beer <laughs> yeah yeah and and honestly i had been in the service industry for a long time before that so like being in restaurants and food and beverage wasn't wasn't new so i think just my background in that plus loving it at home it just was an easy intro to like pursuing it long term so mm -hmm. uh can you talk a little bit more about your time in india about like what an impact that had and just what it was like being over there? I mean, yeah, it, it was it was huge. I mean, um, we miss it still. Like, we loved living there. Um, uh, ironically, that question, I don't think you knew this, probably asking it, but um, that actually was a lot of what instigated the Mad Priest. Because oh, okay. um, when we were over there, uh, one of the cafes that we were helping with, uh, I was camped out there pretty much every day doing work. Uh, our most regular customers were refugees. Okay. And uh, the city we were in was a fairly large city, tech city, university town, uh, and it just was an easy place for them to resettle temporarily and either go to school or whatever. And just kind of got to know them uh, over time and ended up spending a lot of time with Syrians and Iraq, uh, Iraqi folks. And uh, just kind of getting to know them, hearing their story is what kind of led me on the path of feeling called to almost be a part of this this crisis you know of, of displacement so um so how did y'all land in chattanooga after being in india uh well we came back to the states it was a little bit unexpected and turbulent and so we landed in atlanta and you know our families were still there but we just it was 
it was so different. You know, we've been gone long enough and I think we just were ready to start fresh somewhere and kind of plant our family in a not so big city and Chattanooga being close enough that family could still see us. Mm -hmm. It was an easy choice and we're outdoorsy people. So it just kind of made sense, but we didn't really know a whole lot about it. So it was, yeah. it was kind of a big shift. But it always works out. Yeah, no, I, we love it. It's home mm -hmm. for sure. So Yeah. Um, so how did Mad Priest come to be? So, like I said, it was kind of already in my head, mm -hmm. right, uh, from India. And when we moved back to the States, um, I didn't know, I didn't necessarily have the plan to just start the company, but I always had the entrepreneurship side of me. So it was, it was still, wasn't a surprise that it started, but um, after managing a camp house after a year and a half, uh, I just felt like there was opportunity in the market in Chattanooga and really beyond Chattanooga um, to not only elevate the industry, um, and really bring the expertise side, uh, which, you know, having gone through certifications from Specialty Coffee Association and stuff, but also just kind of widen the industry locally um, and create more opportunity for people that want to seek it out long term. Because again, like a lot of people think of coffee as like, oh, that's like a good college job. But in reality, it's like a huge industry and really trying to create a place that can actually invite people to be invested in it as a career, you know, so, uh, and ultimately just make a good product. So, mm -hmm. uh, so y'all, I looked on y'all's website, y'all source your beans from a lot of different places. Can you talk a little bit about how you choose those places? Yeah. I mean, uh, so twofold, like one is, um, the, the, so coffee is a commodity market item and it's pretty volatile. So, uh, one thing that makes it specialty as far as when we call ourselves specialty coffee roasters is the quality of beans that we're buying, the farmers that we're buying them from, and just the intentionality of not only the purchase and the sourcing, but also the roasting methods. Um, but it's a really interesting time because, you know, with the sea market dropping so low for coffee, you know, farmers aren't getting paid very well. So, like, we source through importers that are paying well and doing a really good job keeping those relationships up and investing in the farmers. Um, so who we buy from is very important, right? Um, we try to have full traceability and transparency, and those things are really, really important, um, but and to ensure that people are getting paid well. Um, and then the other side of that is we also wanted to start sourcing coffees that are really unique. And because of climate change and the change in the industry, we're starting to see a lot more investment in coffee-growing regions such as like Southeast Asia that we you didn't see very much no. even five years ago. So we were actually, uh, we carried one of the first harvests out of Myanmar for specialty coffee um, and really trying to showcase not only new coffees and that, you know, that's going to have to change and where coffee's grown, but also having that story of displacement, right? Because you have places like Laos and Myanmar who have crazy histories of displacement and talking through the refugee crisis. So there's always ironically this kind of overlap with displacement and coffee. And so we, we try to attach that story, you know, and talk about it. From both ends so awesome uh so as a little i'm an expert coffee consumer but not exactly an expert in other ways i've been to a couple of y'all's tastings at the other location and i remember talking about or y'all talking about like the different flavor notes that come out of each coffee but to me like i don't understand how one type of bean can give off so many different flavors so does that come through in like roasting or how can you extract like the different flavors? 
yeah, it's hobbies. it's so complicated, right? Um, but think of it really a lot like any other beverage, whether it's wine or our spirits. Um, you know, you have varietals, right? So coffee is a part of a, a, a tree family that has thousands of different varietals. And though we primarily use, say, like 10, 10 main ones or whatever that you'll see, like the varietal is going to play a big impact. And a lot of times that varietal is grown in specific regions, which has different altitudes. And those altitudes and elevations change the impact because the higher the elevation, the less oxygen, the more the plant works. So that's going to impact different sugars and acids into the bean. And so a lot of times you end up getting this, you know, the hard green bean. And inside of that bean, the compounds are chemically very different from other places, other beans. And so, yes, the roasting method totally impacts the flavor. But a lot of times the goal of a roaster is to heighten what is in that bean. Okay. So the roast does impact flavor. And when we talk about dark roasting, really what we're doing is we're taking it far enough into the roast that we're actually kind of caramelizing it too far, destroying some of the sugars, which people like, and that's totally great. We have a dark roast. But the, and the opposite side is true. You don't want a light roast because then it, it might be grassy and not developed and not sweet. And so really the goal is to actually take that bean, know everything about it, and roast to maximize its potential. Okay. And so if you know all those things about the bean and you're roasting to that thing, and so if you know it's going to be a sweeter coffee based off its variables, then you're going to roast to that. Um, and so that's true. Like a lot of times you'll see Ethiopians are lighter roasted because of that, because of the altitude and the varietals and the heirloom varietals and things like that. Um, and so it, it's kind of both and it's it's all the above um and and you could easily destroy all that all the process can be destroyed by one thing so like if the producer doesn't do a good job processing then that's not going to help the roaster or the brewer but you know if everything's done perfectly even up through roast but the brewer doesn't do a good job extracting that the flavor is going to get ruined so it's kind of an amazing crop that you have all these hands in it that have a, a role that could kind of mess it up at any moment all just for a two three dollar cup of coffee <laughs> in your hand yeah. you know it's kind of crazy to think about so mm -hmm. um so one thing i've always wondered and i've heard different things so i want confirmation is it the darker roasts that have more caffeine or the lighter roasts yeah it's an awesome misconception so uh neither so the only way to actually uh, burn off caffeine like the molecule of caffeine is at such a high temperature that the roaster never gets to with the coffee. Okay. So the reason why people think that lighter roast has more coffee is because when you measure by volume, uh, you will have a different measurement because the longer a bean is roasting, the more it expands, the cellulose walls and, and compounds change. So the bean actually expands. So if you take a cup of uh, like a cup scoop of dark roast and a cup of light roast, and level it off volumetrically it's one cup but then you put it on a scale and that that dark roast is going to be lighter right because it's not as dense right so then lighter roast theoretically if if measured by volume will have more caffeine and actually be a stronger coffee too because you have more coffee technically but if you measure it by weight which any real coffee brewer should do as far whether at home or not i mean at home it's, it's different but you know in a, in a specialty coffee shop they should be measuring by weight, in which case it doesn't matter if it's if it's it's going to be the same caffeine content because it's it's by weight, kind of like baking. So 
but if you look at it in a beaker, then it's going to look like it's more coffee in the dark roast, but it's still a weight-based thing, awesome. so if that makes sense. Yes, thanks for clearing that up. Yeah. <laughs> I'd, I'd always wondered if everything that I heard was true or not. So if you're scooping <laughs> it at home and you're scooping a light roast, you'll probably get more caffeine. Okay. So Good to know. But if you're weighing it on a scale, it's going to be the same. Okay. Interesting. All right. Let's play with my jar. If... If you've been listening for a while, you know what the jar is, but for new listeners, this is my colorful little mason jar filled with pieces of paper with all sorts of conversation topics, and we'll just draw a few and talk about them. Yeah, sweet. All right, I'll go first. My favorite fall flavors are, I've been really big on maple this year. I'm usually not, but I got on a maple kick. I've been working on some fall beverages and cocktails of my own. And I've been using a lot of maple syrup and nice. cranberry this year. Yeah, that's good. Um, I dare not say pumpkin. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Pumpkin's overrated. Yeah. Um, <laughs> man, I almost feel like I need to agree with you. Like maple, I've been using a lot of maple too. I almost always use it in exchange for like normal syrup when I'm making things as simple as like an old-fashioned. That's so what I've like, been doing too. So yeah, so I mean it's like my go-to for sweetener beyond just regular sugar, so mm-hmm. I, think, I think I'm going to go with you on that one. Yeah, maple. How do you feel about maple and bacon together? I'm a big proponent of sweet and savory mixed together, mm-hmm. so absolutely, 100%. Um, I actually will get a big bowl of vanilla ice cream, bacon, and brownies. Like, Oh, okay. Yeah, I love it. I savory like and sweet mix. It's Perfect. Yeah. I like salty and sweet too. Yeah, Perfect. I can do that. Yeah. All right, go ahead. A piece of wisdom I always keep with me. And these are hard to do on the fly, <laughs> especially a heavy one like that. <laughs> I gotta keep it interesting. Um, a piece of wisdom. So. I'm going to go off my brand here. Okay. Um, one of the most famous scenes from the Count of Monte Cristo, which I guess I should say is what Mad Priest is referenced to, oh, okay. um, is the part of the novel or movie, if you've seen it, where um, the Count is giving the birthday blessing to um, the young man, and, who, who is actually his son, if I spoil that, sorry. <laughs> um, and he basically is explaining that uh, life... Life is a storm, and uh, one minute you can be basking in the sun and loving it, and the next minute a massive storm comes and, and you hit the rocks. And, and it's not, he says, basically it's not about um, anything other than how you look into the storm and say, like, do, do your best, you know, and stand strong through the storm. So um, I think it's a, it's a powerful part of the book, and I think it's just good wisdom in general. Mm-hmm. So, I like that. Yeah. I have actually never read The Count of Monte Cristo. I know what it's about, but I've actually yeah. never read it. But I might have to add it to my list. You I just Definitely. It's only 1100 pages. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I just finished reading Big Little Lies. Not familiar with it. It's pretty it's probably a couple years old, but they just made it an HBO special, but okay. it was a book first and then it was an HBO thing, but I just read it and it was great. Nice. Um, oh, my piece of wisdom. Oh, yeah. Um, so I got a fortune and a fortune cookie in college, and I've kept it with me. And it said, always remember where you were going and never forget where you've been. And I've, I moved around a lot growing up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So 
even though I didn't like love everywhere I lived, there are pieces of that that I still keep with me because they were good learning experiences. And I've never lived anywhere longer than five years. So it's just a constant like state of moving and like, remember like where you're going, but never forget like the past experiences that have gotten you to where you are. Yeah, that's good. Well, how long have you been here though? Three years. Okay. Oh man, <laughs> you're, you're you're approaching it. I know. If I I get to five years, I'm gonna be like, okay, it's five years. What do I do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Watch out. Okay, I've answered this one plenty of times, but I'll ask ask it for you. The one food I just can't stomach. The one food I can't stomach. Um... I mean, I actually am probably one of the least pickiest people you'll ever meet, and I've traveled around the world, so I've had <laughs> a lot of food, but if there's anything that I distinctly remember, like, somewhat vomiting in my mouth over, <laughs> it was having the cartilage of a buffalo hoof, and basically, it, you boil it for a long time, and it separates, and it's like in a soup, but you, like, distinctly pick up the cartilage and eat it. And it's just it's it's not even that the taste was that bad. It was it was the the texture, and yep. knowing in your head as you ate it. So I I yeah that was uh, and it didn't go down well. So <laughs> doesn't yeah. sound like it would. Um, minor tomatoes and garlic. Really, both. Both. Like separately, like you don't eat a lot of garlic. Mm-mm. Oh my gosh, I put it on everything. I keep garlic <laughs> powder in my spice drawer, and I use it very very sparingly. Oh man. I'm super sensitive to garlic. Interesting. Yeah. Which is well, weird. you probably have a pretty strong palate then. As far, if, if, if something, I mean, gar- garlic, I guess, is pretty uh, pretty strong. But still, I mean, if, if you're that sensitive that you don't like it. Sometimes that means, you know, people have heightened palates, which means you are a good coffee connoisseur. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> All, right. All right, pick another one. The most beautiful thing about Chattanooga. How fitting. Uh, the most beautiful thing about Chattanooga is, um, honestly, uh, I'll be really cheesy and just say the people. Um, the biggest reason why we called this home so quickly, and honestly, one of the reasons why we also moved here was because we came up for a day visit and we attended uh, an event uh, where there was a panel of people talking about the Missouri riots and um, kind of hearing their perspectives on it and how the city was going to respond to it. Uh, and then even having been here, like we would not have started the Mad Priest if it wasn't for the people and the people believing in us and supporting us. We've now run two Kickstarters that raised over $36,000 each. Wow. And a lot of that is from the local support. And so I think it's just like it speaks volumes of the heart behind the city and, and also how people support the social mission and how like we really want to create a small a mid-sized city that cares about its people, reinvests in itself, and just is a good home, mm-hmm. you know? So. Awesome. I will agree with you on that. Uh, and I will also say the fall colors. Yeah. And we're at that time, too. Yeah. I recently moved over to Red Bank, and the apartment complex I live in, um, as you're leaving it, you get a great view up Signal Mountain. Nice. And right as I'm coming down the hill... I can start to see the colors on the leaves start to change. And I'm just like so looking forward to seeing that every morning when I leave for work. Yeah, that's awesome. Because that wasn't a view I got where I used to live. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's do one more each. Cool. Um, Let's 
Okay, I touched on this earlier. Uh, one classic book or movie I've never read or seen. Um, so I said The Count of Monte Cristo a bit ago, and I was an English major, and I somehow made it through high school English and four years of English in college without reading Jane Eyre. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I haven't read it either, but <laughs> going through as an English major, that's, that's one thing. Um, I get criticized a lot for having never seen The Godfather. So I just can't seem to spare three hours. Yeah. And uh, I don't think my wife would be too ecstatic about watching it either. So one day, one day. I've seen it once. I had a teacher in high school who specialized in mob movies. And that was his thing. He That's loved funny. he loved mob movies. And every year at the end of the year, like after the AP exam was done, we still had like a month of school left. He did a specific film study on The Godfather. That's hilarious. And it took probably about two weeks to watch it because we would watch of class, it. Yeah. <laughs> we'd watch it and then we'd have to like pause and have discussions about certain right, things. Right. So that is that is the one time. Well, I guess if you span it over a few weeks, I might be able to watch it then. Yeah, <laughs> you have to have. It's it's hard to sit down and watch that in yeah. one. Yeah, I couldn't yeah. do it. Yeah. All right, finish this off. All right, last one. My ideal meat and three plate is. Oh, this is one of my favorites. Well. It's funny, even having grown up in the South, I was never really, uh, our family was not a big meat and three, but um, if I had to choose, um, probably would just go with a classic uh, filet mignon steak. I love fried okra. I like potatoes when they're chopped at the right thickness and fried with the right spices. Mm -hmm. Even garlic, I have to say. <laughs> and... Probably like asparagus, as much as I hate the way it makes my pee smell. <laughs> I would say, I usually say, um, I'm originally from North Carolina, so I usually say barbecue, mac and cheese, and whatever else I want with that. Nice. But I'm going to switch it up today. Okay. And I'm going to say, I agree with you, I love a good steak and roasted potatoes. I've, in the last year, started eating Brussels sprouts, and nice. I figured out how to roast them just the way I like them. So I would say steak, potatoes, Brussels sprouts, and then probably cornbread. Nice. That is a good... I don't eat enough cornbread. I don't either. I I'm ashamed. Uh, next time you do the Brussels sprouts, do you should fry... You have to chop them thin enough, but mm -hmm. fry them with lots of butter, and then add feta cheese. Ooh. And if you really want to get wild, some chopped up bacon. Those are good that. Brussels sprouts. I will try that next time. <laughs> I roast mine with olive oil, balsamic vinegar, and salt and pepper. Nice. But yeah. I will try balsamic that. Balsamic vinegar always adds a good touch. Mm -hmm. I'll have to try that. I never would have thought of putting feta with them. Yeah, I first thought of it uh, from a burger joint in Atlanta. I can't remember the name. Mm -hmm. but Where in Atlanta did you live? Uh, all over. I grew up in the north side, but uh, we lived in Decatur and... Uh, Mostly Decatur, but we also lived in Home Park over on the west side by Georgia Tech. So. Kennesaw. Okay, cool. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Lived, well, I lived in Woodstock for a couple years and then moved away, and then when we moved back, we were in Kennesaw. Nice. So kind of the northwest area, I guess. Yeah. Yay. Awesome. Thanks for playing along. Yeah, it's great. And listeners, if you have any questions you would like 
added to the jar, leave it in a review or find me on Instagram at the Nougabelle and send it to me and I'll add it. All right, part two. Now we're going to talk about your new venture, yeah. the Mad Priest Coffee and Cocktails. Yeah. So the space we are recording in is what will be your coffee and cocktail space. It will I see be. you've got your bar going. Yeah, it, it seems like there's a long way to go and yet it's going to happen really fast. Um, yeah, I mean, so the goal was always to have a full retail space because for those who have been to our spot on Broad Street know it's not very large. Um, but I'm, I'm, a, I'm a beverage guy, I'm a foodie. And so I, it didn't take long before I got really serious into spirits and cocktails. I'm actually enrolled in my uh, certification of spirit specialist, so it's a pretty heavy-duty, uh, intense exam, kind of like a sommelier. Some but yeah, for me, I, it just kind of like made sense to combine them because it's the same idea. You're taking a crop uh, that's being produced and then um, altered, whether it's roasting or distilling, and then final product by barista or bartender. And so they just kind of go together and I meet a lot of bartenders who either do know or want to learn a lot more about coffee and vice versa. A lot of baristas want to really get into spirits and cocktails. And so it just kind of made sense to combine them in a space where we can really heighten and elevate, again, that beverage industry locally. And ultimately I wanted to embody our brand as well. So our brand, being from the Count of Monte Cristo and creating a space that is super unique and experiential. So every detail of every corner in this place has a purpose. And so we hope that when people walk in, there's just really kind of a transportation to another world mm -hmm. almost uh, for awesome. the time you're here, as well as hopefully just having really good quality beverages. So yeah. Um, you mentioned Kickstarters earlier. You did a really big Kickstarter to get this uh, off the ground. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so we ran our second one in uh, June. Part of the motivation for running it, I mean, it, it, you know, it made a huge difference. Like, it helped our startup cost tremendously. But honestly, like, it was more about making this a communal, a communal space. Um, like, we wanted people to feel invested in it and, you know, obviously reap the rewards for it, but also... When it comes to the food and beverage industry, like the reason why apparently millennials are destroying all the chains is <laughs> <Supposedly>. because <laughs> supposedly because people want meaning, they want story, they want depth, um, and you know obviously we've been trying to create that the whole time. But how much more so than to walk into a place and actually feel part of it? You know, um, even if it was ten dollars or hundred dollars or five hundred dollars. Um, so and it was awesome. It was really exciting uh, to have five hundred people mostly local give to it and a lot of which i've never met before or had just met during the campaign during events like so even that part you know like meeting people and seeing their excitement for you even though they don't know a lot about your brand or maybe had coffee a couple times or you know we're adamant supporters and buy coffee all the time um it was just a really fun experience and it was hard it was a long month but uh, we succeeded thanks to everyone and uh, we can't wait to share the space. And uh, the first two nights that we're open are exclusive backer parties. Awesome. So, like, our backers literally will be the first people to walk in here and experience and have drinks and mm -hmm. hang out with us. So. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, so, can you give us a little bit of insight into the types of cocktails you're going to have? 
So my beverage director is Jen Gregory. She's been in the industry uh, well over 20 years and is just an expert. Um, she's obviously playing a huge role in the menu development and just really allowing this to go to the next level. But we have some pretty strong views of cocktail bars in the industry. And, <laughs> and a couple of those views are things like return to simplicity, return to classics, no cocktail is not a riff on a, on a classic. And mm -hmm. so a lot of our cocktails, uh, our house cocktails are all, you're going to see similarities between those and classics with little twists here and there. Um, but we also, with our house cocktails, um, you know, they are originals and we want to tell stories through them. So the names and some of the ingredients will kind of be a part of that storytelling process. Uh, we will have uh, tons of classics um, and, you know, they will be as true to those as we can. Um, and we want to rotate that. So on a quarterly basis, you know, change out the menu and, and really give our staff opportunity to create and produce drinks and even go on to competitions and things like that. So it's going to be a very collective effort uh, with the staff and stuff like that. So. Awesome. Any coffee cocktails? Yes. So uh, contrary to what some people seem to think, when we say coffee and cocktails, uh, that, you know, we will definitely have cocktails with coffee. And I think out of our house, we have two. Okay. We have like 10 house cocktails, two of which have coffee in them. Awesome. Um, so we definitely want to riff on that and play on that. But uh, really the idea is they actually kind of separated in a sense. So uh, the left side of the bar is all coffee. The right side of the bar is all spirits. And uh, both are available all day long. So you can come in and get a latte, hopefully to the same degree and quality as, as you can at 9 a.m. at 9 p.m. And vice versa, you know, we'll have a limited menu during the day, but you can come get a martini at lunch probably. Awesome. Um, but at night, we'll have a much fuller menu. Um, but yeah, we'll definitely, we, we showcased our first coffee cocktail at the Edwin Hotel, Whiskey Thief, the other night. Oh, awesome. And, I haven't um, made it there yet. Yeah, it's a beautiful space. Definitely go check it out. Uh, shout out to the amazing job they did um, and some awesome bar staff. Uh, but we, we showcased uh, our first coffee cocktail called the Pasha that will be on our menu uh, and it was kind of another exclusive backer opportunity, and it was fun. We had a lot of people mm -hmm. show up and got to make our, our drink, and uh, very fall-esque, so lots nice. of Amaros in it, kind of a Manha fancy Manhattan, basically. Ooh, so Very nice. Um, and at Wine Over Water a couple weekends ago, y'all had the White Russians. We did. We did Those white, were delicious. Yeah, we did a White Russian Affogato, so that was also, uh, yeah, I mean, that one was a blend as well, right? Uh, we were taking, you know, Affogato, which is espresso and ice cream, and then blending it with um, a white Russian. So yeah, I mean, that, and everyone seemed to really like oh, that. Yeah. <laughs> for especially for a hot day, so mm -hmm. it was fun. Yeah, that was, that was the perfect thing to have on a day that was as hot as that. Um, so where around Chattanooga can we find Mad Priest Coffee? Oh, I mean, so as far as retail goes, like you can mostly just buy it either at our shop or at the uh, Wednesday Main Street Farmers Markets. And then we are in all the two earth fairs locally. But as far as like just being able to drink it, um, we're in quite a few places. You can go to Bluegrass Grill or Serpent Eggs, which are two uh, prominent breakfast places uh, to drink our coffee. It's funny, I'm like never at my wholesale shop anymore, so <laughs> I feel like there's probably a lot more places. Uh, I mean, we have over like 40, 40 accounts, um, and so, but a lot of those might just be like churches or businesses mm -hmm. and things like that. So I feel like people drink our coffee and sometimes don't even realize it. Probably. Um, a couple of places that come to mind are Clumpy's. You can actually buy retail at Clumpy's too, but they serve our coffee and have retail bags. Uh, Julia Darling's, for example. Um, 
And if for anyone who happens to be in Dalton or goes down to Dalton, uh, we are a part of a big coffee shop opening down there called Native Kitchen. Uh, and they're kind of a specialty coffee slash kitchen slash bar opening awesome. in uh, one of the old mills being restored. Ooh, and they're cool. supposed to open probably by the end of the year. Awesome. So, Good yeah. to know. I'll have to make a trip down and check that out. Yeah. Sounds right up my alley. Yeah. Yeah. Um, awesome. It has been lovely talking to you and hearing about all of this. Uh, where can we follow Mad Priest and everything on the internet to stay up to date? Yeah, definitely. Uh, so... Mad Priest Coffee Roasters, you can follow at Mad Priest Coffee uh, on Instagram and Facebook. And that will follow mostly the coffee side and production side of things uh, if you're a coffee geek. Uh, but as far as the retail side and the new shop and getting more into holistic beverage as far as coffee, cocktails, all the above, that is at Mad Priest CHA and www.madpriestcha.com. And uh, yeah, like. Please follow us, come check us out, and we will be opening uh, to the public for our grand opening on Halloween. Awesome. So we're going to do a three-day, we're calling it the Great Tritum Grand Opening. So nice. Halloween through All Souls Day and kind of riffing off the religious side of things. And, <laughs> uh, we have a lot of fun uh, freebies and discount stuff and things like that. So definitely keep around and come hang out on Halloween. So. Awesome. That sounds marvelous yeah it's gonna be fun yeah awesome well thank you so much michael for joining me yeah thank you awesome this has been another episode of the nougat bell podcast thank you all so much for listening